Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is February 3rd. I am David Gasper, joined by my co-host Matt Carroll, and we are the editors at ReviewingTheBrew.com. Lots of good stuff to discuss in this week's episode, including rumors surrounding Jose Ramirez, Justin Turner, and others, as well as the Brewers' surprise signing of Colton Wong. And joining us for this discussion is the co-host of BJ and the Bear weekday mornings on 95.3 FM, The Score in Appleton, BJ DeGroote. BJ, thank you so much for, for coming on the pod, man. It means a lot. Yeah, what's up? What's good, boys? Uh, I can't I can't back up what you had with Josh Lindblom last week, but um, I'll do my best. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's almost not fair to you, really, to, to make you come on after him. It's just, yeah, I, I've, I've, I'm sorry, man, for, for putting you through that. <laughs> It's all good, um, and we've got just a just a little bit to talk about today, huh? Yeah, just a little bit. And, you know, stuff we stuff we couldn't talk about with Josh Slimbloom. You know, it, it'd almost be rude to talk about that type of stuff with him. Um, but first of all, Colbert Podcast. I've got my Miller Lite as always, Matt. It seems like you've got a Miller product over there as well. Yeah, we are back to living the high life. High uh, life in honor of all those Miller Park signs coming down. I guess. Yeah. And in honor of the greatest Super Bowl commercial in Super Bowl history, High Life, the the one second commercial. What a great one, uh, BJ. One. <laughs> BJ, what are you drinking over there? I I went a little bit harder today than than uh, than beer, but I respect the what is it Brewers Brewers Boulevard now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what they renamed it. Um, I went a little bit harder because Miller Park will always be near and dear to my heart, so I needed to. Soak it down with some uh, whiskey and and squirt. Oh tonight. my god! Oh yeah, Love that. there we go. Man, this is gonna be fun when we get to the end of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so obviously the big news of the day, the big news of the off season, really, the Brewers have signed Colton Wong to a multi-year contract, two years, eighteen million, is the report from Ken Rosenthal. Club option for a third year. Uh, that option's for about $8 million, which could bring the total to $26 million. Colton Wong, a second baseman formerly of the Cardinals, joining the Brewers. BJ, I'll ask you first, like, love, or hate the Colton Wong signing? Well, as a bunch of emotions, This, you know, when that first comes through, you're like, all right, I need immediate reaction. And then mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't love it at first, but then when you looked at the numbers... And you started kicking around, well, immediately, what are they going to do with Keston Hira? Because Colton Wong is a gold glove second baseman. He's an all-star second baseman. So, obviously, Keston Hira is going to be done at at second. We're going to move Keston. I was like, all right, did they create too many problems for themselves? And then you look at the contract and what kind of pest he has been with St. Louis. I mean, the idea of a former Cardinal coming into Milwaukee, that track record hasn't been very good for the Brewers. Uh, <laughs> Jeff Subban. I mean, uh, we don't want to go down that you, you road. You uttered those words. We almost might need to censor those. <laughs> yeah, sorry. But after chew, chewing on it for a couple of hours, the money seems right. The fit seems right. I'm a big not strikeout kind of guy. I know mm-hmm. that's not popular with today's analytics. It's about hitting home runs and launch angle. I despise strikeouts. The, the dude doesn't strike out, and uh, he's a severe upgrade defensively in the field uh, for the crew. So the more I chewed on it, uh, I think I'm starting to fall a little head over heels. I think I'm falling in love in love with it. <laughs> oh. 
It's a, little, it's a little romantic answer there, Matt. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, it's February. Valentine's Day is this month. So, you know, we're in the spirit uh, a little bit here. Um, I, I, you know, on its face, it's hard not to love it. If you take everything else out of the equation, where is Hira going to play? Where does he slot and line up? Any of that stuff. How do you not love this? The guy has good splits career at Miller Park. So, you know, he'll be able to use the park to his advantage. Um he gets on base, um, career 333, um, but you, as you had mentioned in your quick write-up about it, um, much better in recent years, um, 361 a couple years ago, 350 last year. Um, like BJ mentioned, doesn't strike out, um, which was a huge problem for the Brewers last year, so definitely an area we'd love to upgrade um, in 2021. He has a career... 15.2% strikeout rate, which is much better than the like 24, I think we averaged as a team last year, as a team last year. Um, it's, he fills a lot of holes. Oh, and by the way, he stole 24 bases in 2019. So, you know, we can get a little bit back to that. Um, something that I had written about in the past, how the Brewers, you know, just hadn't really been stealing bases last year after being up towards the top of the league for years. Um, he solves a lot of problems and oh yeah, two-time gold Glover. So yes, we will absolutely take that defense in the field. Love it on a move by itself. Yeah. I think I'm kind of uh, in, in the boat with, with you guys there, especially with BJ where initially I was, I was kind of confused because it's like, okay, the Brewers need a first baseman and a third baseman and they're going out and getting a second baseman. It's <laughs> like, okay, what? Like it, Stearns does this like all the time. Like he just makes the most unconventional move. It's like, I have a need at these positions. I'm going to go get someone at some other position and take one of my current guys and and put him over there. So yeah, initially I was just kind of like, okay, like I kind of like it. You know, he's a pretty good hitter. Uh, He's a good defender. Like, like you said, Matt, back to back gold glove winner. Um, But yeah, like I started looking at it more and more and I started to to really kind of love it. I mean, his contract option with the Cardinals that was declined last year was for 12 million and the Brewers got him for an average of 9 million per year. He's a left-handed hitter. He can hit at the top of the order. Lorenzo Cain is coming back, but we don't know what what type of hitter Lorenzo Cain's going to be. And the Brewers really, the Brewers lacked a leadoff hitter in 2020. And and that much was, was plainly obvious. And with Lorenzo Cain, He's now going to be two, three years removed from being a uh, impactful leadoff hitter. Cause it, he was really good in 2018 and 2019, he had a down year. And then in 2020, he opted out a few games in. So the past two seasons, we haven't really seen Lorenzo Cain be the impactful leadoff hitter uh, that, that he was in 2018. So the Brewers might not be sure that, that he's going to be able to provide that kind of production. Colton Wong probably would, would be able to, he's done it. Um, fairly recently. And I mean, he's a left-handed hitter and the Brewers could always use more of that. And he just plays better in, in Miller park. I mean, Bush stadium really is not a, a hitters park. And in 57 games at Miller park, Colton Wong is a 308 hitter. He's got six homers, 13 stolen bases and 855 OPS. And those are like the top numbers for him in his career outside of Bush Stadium. The most homers, the most stolen bases, you know, the the highest OPS outside of, I I think, Atlanta, where he has like nine games and Detroit and Fenway. 
um, where he has like two games of experience at, at all those. So it's really just kind of been a great place for him to hit. And now playing 81 games there a year for the next couple of years, I think that's a pretty sneaky, uh, good signing for, for Stearns. So it's just really kind of something that um, a lot of people maybe didn't like initially see. But yeah, I think um, adding this kind of a bad mix just kind of takes this offense to, to another level. I'm curious to see what they do with that leadoff position. Um, I was never a huge fan of Lorenzo Cain in that leadoff spot, but I don't know. I don't know what other options they had. I'd love, I'd love, and it's a lot to put on a young guy's plate, but I was, I was pushing so hard last year for a youth movement on the infield from day one, mm-hmm. just run out Urias, run out Arcia and run out Hira from third to first. And um, they didn't do that. Uh <laughs> I'm yeah. a huge Luis uh, Luis Urias fan. I wonder I wonder if he could handle the leadoff spot. That's what I would, that, that's what I was saying all last summer. It's like you know he was he was hitting well. Put him in the leadoff spot. He did, and then he hit a slump for like the final like two two three weeks of the season. So then they had to like take him out of there. But yeah, like I, I think Urias could end up taking that. Um, but if he's going to do that, I think he's going to have to overtake. Orlando Arcia for the starting shortstop job. And I mean, that, that's going to be a battle we're going to have to see in spring training, but yeah, he, if he gets regular at bats, I think Urias could be that guy down the road. Yeah. It's no joke that they need to solve that um, leadoff spot. I, at one point that I had looked it up last year, I want to say it was like eight different leadoff hitters. We used last season, something close to that. One of those games being Ryan Healy. Don't forget. <laughs> Um, out of nowhere but you know we've had that staple of Kane at the top of the lineup for those years that we were very successful um 2018 2019 and even though he had a down year in 2019 um you know still having that consistency of the same person atop the lineup just seems to help um you know everyone else at least you know what you're getting and so whether or not it's him whether it's Colton Wong it'd be great to just have that reliable you know who your number one hitter is every day that you roll out unless Wong is sitting or Kane is sitting or something like that maybe it just flips back and forth between those two um that'll be a nice sight to see is just a a little bit more consistency especially after last year's uh platoons all over the field you didn't know who was playing one day from the next at pretty much any position yeah, it's really just kind of you know good to get some consistency because having so many platoons and expecting to be a championship contending team, you know, it's really kind of tough to to make that work. So, you know, it'll be good to get some consistency over there. And then, um, as an article that you just wrote, Matt, you know, what does this mean for Keston here? Because he was the incumbent second baseman. Uh, he was a very poor defender at second base. That that much was known. He struggled throwing the ball. Uh, he, he really just kind of looked rough out there at times. And he just had a rough offensive season as well in 2020. But now with Colton Wong, a gold glove defender at, at second base, showing up that um, middle infield. Now Hira, it looks like, is going to have to move 
to first base. He's going to have to learn a new position uh, throughout spring training. And from the movie Moneyball, uh, we know that, that Ron Washington has told us learning first base is incredibly hard. So can can Keston Hira uh, move to first base and, and learn the learn the position, do you think, BJ? Yeah, and this is a, a flat-out certainty in Keston Hira not playing second base for the Brewers this year. I don't know if either of you guys are are in the wagering game, but Colton Wong has played 150 or 852 games in his career, um, including 798 where he's appeared in the field. 785 of those he's played at second base. The dude is not playing anywhere but second base. So Keston Hira <laughs> will be having a position change come this spring. Logically, based on his arm issues that we knew um, coming out of the draft for him, I don't think they want to risk it at third. The logical place no. is is first base. Um, and everybody's like, well, how do you put a short guy at first? Keston Hira's six foot. But by no means is he the shortest first baseman in the history of the game. So that you can flush down the toilet. Um, And to be honest, his bat is going to mean more. And what he's going to give you from an offensive perspective is going to mean more than any liability that he's going to have at first base. I truly believe that um, if you can show and prove your worth from a stick perspective, I can live with that missed pick on a on a potential double play at first i'm good with that i think keston here is going to be your starting first baseman and i think he needs to be in the lineup every day this whole idea of a 70 30 split with dan vogelbach i i don't think you can keep keston here's bad out of the lineup yeah it's funny you mentioned here is height because um i had actually when they were talking about him at first last year i had the same reaction and a buddy of mine was like, no, he's, he's normal height. Like, and then a friend at work today actually came up and was like, isn't Tira too short to play first base? And like, that's what I thought. It must just be his build. He just looks shorter. But no, he's yeah, he's, he's got the height to play the position. He's just fine. Um, in terms of defense, it, I feel like it's his arm more than his glove that's been the worry. So the fact that you kind of take the arm out of that helps at least a little bit. The weird part to me that I noted in the uh, article that I just put out, maybe that kind of speaks a little bit to um, the split that he would potentially have with Vogelbach is you would assume one's a righty, one's a lefty, that'd work out perfectly splits-wise. Not so much, though, at least based off of Hira's career. So Vogelbach has normal splits for lefty. He hits better against righties, 801 um, OPS versus against lefties, whereas a 537, rough. Um, Hira, oddly, is also better against righties. He has an 896 OPS being a righty against righty pitchers, but only a 679 against lefties. Um, And the average kind of goes along with it. And so, you know, if you've basically got two guys who have a similar hitting profile, I don't know that Hira's would stay that way. Like maybe his would round out the way it normally would for a right-hander over time. But if they don't, then you're really not gaining anything by platooning the two players. Um, And then one other thing that I had noted in that article, don't forget that Vogelbach is on a non-guaranteed contract that he signed right before the non-tender deadline. So we are not 100% committed to him 
you know, unless he starts just mashing in spring training, then obviously we've got to figure out a way to make it work. But uh, I think the first base platoon situation is a little more interesting than uh, people might be wanting to give it credit for at first. I don't know if you fellas want to do it, but can we fire up a petition for uh, DH to stay for good in the uh, in the Uh, National League? If Rob Manfred listened to us, baseball would be fixed by now. But look at the last four years for this team. This team, this team that David Stearns has built had a perfect spot for a DH every single year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this comes from a National League guy. I love the idea of double switches and the manipulation with the lineup and what managers have to do in the NL. But when I look at when I look at my hometown team and I say, dude, this team would benefit so much from a full-time DH. Um, I'm starting to I'm starting to pick up traction and move to that side of the fence. Yeah, I, I started on uh, that on, on my journey to that side of the fence after Jimmy Nelson injured his shoulder uh, diving into first base. Mm-hmm. That was really kind of the thing for me because that year, if you remember in 2017, Junior Guerra strained his calf running out a bunt. Chase Anderson pulled his oblique swinging the bat, and then Jimmy Nelson had a career altering. Uh, injury diving back into first base and that was that was all in the same year if Nelson was healthy in 2017 they make the playoffs if Nelson's healthy in 2018 I think they go to the World Series and they may have a chance to win it and like it, it just all these things really just kind of if they had the DH all these things could have been avoided they could have been changed and sure we wouldn't have Brandon Woodruff homering off Clayton Kershaw in the playoffs but <laughs> I, I think keeping pitchers healthy um, and having having Jimmy Nelson for that playoff series uh, would have served the Brewers a whole lot better than if they had um, Brandon Woodruff hitting that home run off of Kershaw. So, yeah, that, that's really kind of a side of the fence I switched to um, a little bit ago because it, it, you got to keep the pitchers healthy. Like if if pitchers are going to get hurt, I'd rather have it be from doing pitcher stuff not not from trying to hit that's your next that's your next article the day brewer fans should have flipped from wanting to keep the dh out of the nl you you yeah. run through those list of injuries there's your next yeah. article I, I think i i think i did that back in 2017 did you yeah 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 because that's, that's when i really started to started to switch but yeah it's just really kind of kind of been tough. And then, I mean, you, you draft a guy like Keston here, and it's like this dude seems like destined for the designated hitter because, I mean, he was so rough there defensively in college. Like, everyone knew he was rough defensively. But like you said, if you hit 300 with 30 bombs, you'll deal with whatever defensive shortcomings you have. And I think the Brewers were fine with that. And then all of a sudden, uh, Keston Hira didn't produce in 2020. So it's like, okay, now you've got poor defense. You're striking out more than anyone else in the majors and you're hitting 220. So it, it was really kind of, you know, I, I still don't think you can draw too much in terms of conclusions from his performance in 2020. But, you know, this way they can get a pretty much a consistent, solid offensive contributor at second base with great defense and Colton Wong. And it can move here someplace where, you know, his defense will still be fine enough as long as he gets back to hitting um, and show up that run prevention unit. And, yeah, a platoon really I don't think is necessary simply because Keston Hira is an everyday bat. 
you know, like I, I like Dan Vogelbach. He's seems like a super fun guy. He's a fun, fun hitter to watch, but Kesson Hira is an everyday type bat. He, he's not someone who should be in a platoon. And Matt, I, going off on the splits that you were mentioning earlier, and I, this is probably on me for not doing enough research coming in, but I wonder what his splits were against lefties and righties in college. And I wonder if he'll yeah. move more towards the mean if it was better against lefties in college. Because obviously, I mean, typically, you know, your right-handers are obviously better against lefties and lefties mm-hmm. are better against right-handers. But I'd be curious there. I, I, I think the sample size isn't big enough at the major league level for Keston here against against uh, lefties yet. Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree with that. I've not done that deeper dive, I will admit, into college stats. But yeah, it's hard. it's hard to, you know, say that a guy's splits are going to be what they are after, you know, a season and a half. And and sure. really, um, not even a full season was that second season. It was a 60-game season. So plenty of time for all of that to round out. But it's still kind of an, you know, just an interesting little snapshot that it's not exactly that perfect righty-lefty platoon that you might think it would be. Um, I, I to For the DH, I know my... Uh, view of that was always I would just rather see better baseball and for every hit that Brandon uh, Woodruff has off of Clayton Kershaw there's 20 pitcher strikeouts to go along with it and so Mm -hmm. I am all for starting up this petition however David if Rob Manfred is listening to our podcast I think we might get banned from Major League Baseball stadiums at some point soon (laughs) (laughs) what about And I don't mean to go down a rabbit hole here, but what about like a modified DH where you let your starter hit until he's he's done and then you can. There was an article on that. Don't even go there. there. No, there was just to mention, though, you should read. There was an article about exactly that on The Athletic. Um, I think it was Jason Starks. Um, And he talked to a GM, a manager, a former DH, Jay Bruce, and a former uh, not former pitcher. It was Adam Wainwright. Um, and the spectrum of opinion about that was fascinating. Like it is such a good article um, when they talk about, you know, the consequences of having a rule like that and how would it affect um, all these different players and management and everything like that. It's really interesting article. I'd, I'd try and dig that up if you have a chance. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's something where it's like, you know, imagine if your starter just has a rough outing, you know, to begin with, they have to get pulled in the first inning. It's like, because he's already given up six runs or something. Like, do you really want to also pull one of your better hitters at that point as well after you're already down six runs? So it, I, I think for something like that, like just kind of the side consequences in in terms of like actual baseball would just make it so tough to, to do. Like, I, I get it, like in theory, like it makes sense because you want to keep the guys in there longer in a, in a perfect world, but... You know, baseball just has a way of making things not a perfect world all the time. And I like the different differentiation of National League, American League. I mean, mm-hmm. again, you're coming from a guy who forever was against the DH. But, man, the last four or five years for the crew, they would have benefited mm-hmm. so much from having a DH. Yeah. And we could have, we could probably still have Ryan Braun deciding that, that he wanted to play. So there you go. There's, there's still no decision on him. No, no official news, but since, you know, the report that the DH is not going to be coming back to the National League in 2021, uh, I think Braun is as good as gone. 
which is unfortunate the way he had to finish his career in Milwaukee during a mm-hmm. pandemic season uh, without being able to say, could you imagine Miller Park at the end of the year? Oh my goodness. Um, you know, if they knew that this was his final year. Um, I've always been a proponent of guys that are have been with a team their entire career announcing that this will be their final year so they get that that season. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of a lot of stuff that goes around goes around it. Uh, a lot of distractions, but for for a guy like Ryan Braun, regardless of what you think about the PED stuff, um he was a brewer from start to finish. You know, he loves the city, and you can't argue with, with the numbers that he put up. I think he deserved better than this year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy who signed a long-term contract twice with the Brewers. I mean, for the longest time, we never really had anyone like that, that, that signed you know big long-term deals to stay here. I mean, he had the eight-year, $45 million deal after his first season. And then in 2011, he signed the the big five-year extension, and he got a big standing ovation for that. And, you know, it was just kind of something that for the longest time, it's like whenever good players would come along in Milwaukee or, or wherever, it's always just kind of waiting for, for them to leave. You know, it was always just kind of expecting the stars, like, okay, yeah, you got lucky in drafting them, and then they're going to get good. They're going to want to get paid more elsewhere, and then they'll go sign or go to Los Angeles, go to New York, go anyplace else. And, you know, Braun, Braun didn't do that. He stuck around and he's really kind of been the linchpin to the most successful 14 year stretch in, in Brewers history. I mean, he's been around for, what is it now, five playoff appearances. And prior to him getting here, the Brewers only had two altogether. So, yeah, he certainly deserved a lot better. I'm sure he's going to have some sort of. You know, if he decides not to come back, I'm sure he's going to have some sort of a ceremony or something at Miller Park this year. You know, something in front of fans to get a final standing ovation. But, yeah, he's got to have something. And the deals were team friendly. That first one was real team friendly. Second one, maybe not. But um, they were deals that, you know, put the Brewers in a position to where they were at, knocking on the door in that NLCS later on in his career. Yeah, just think, eight years, $45 million, just, <laughs> it, yeah. it's insane where contracts have gone since then, but uh, <laughs> it's been a while since I've thought about the actual value of that, and back then, that seemed like, oh my god, we're committing so much money to Ryan Braun, which in reality was extremely team-friendly, you're right, but, oof, $45 million, uh, there's pitchers who could make that over two years these days. <laughs> Uh, it's 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 really just kind of uh, incredible. And and speaking of Ryan Braun's old position, or speaking of Ryan Braun, let's go to his old position, third base, where he was an absolute disaster. Uh, and third base is an absolute disaster once again for the Brewers. <laughs> Currently, they got Daniel Robertson and Luis Urias. Um, they you know with the sign today, like okay, they helped fix first base a little bit. But now what's the plan at third base? And, you know, maybe they end up going with a Daniel Robertson, Luis Urias uh, platoon or or some sort of matchup. I don't particularly think so. Um, But, you know, there have been rumors about Justin Turner. Um, But, you know, I think any sort of interest or possible chance of Justin Turner becoming a brewer, I think that just became a, a bigger long shot after, 
the $9 million uh, per year committed to uh, Colton Wong today, BJ. Yeah, and it's probably as much as we said Keston Hira deserves the everyday nod at first, it may still be a little too soon for Urias as much of a a fan as I am of, of that move, just roll him out at third and let him, let him go and ride the ups and downs. Um, it still may be too early in his career. So that leads, like you said, um, David, to an absolute mess at third. What do you do? Because if you push the chips in with Urias, do you wreck a guy, you know, early in his uh, major league career? Um, but again, man, you risk it and he, and he drills it. I feel like he's got all the tools I just wonder if it's too soon. So I'm glad I'm not David Stearns. I'm glad I'm not Craig <laughs> Gonsal trying to make that decision at third base. Yeah, I would love nothing more than for Urias to actually get a chance this spring to, you know, hit the ground running, unlike last spring where he original spring training, he had that, uh, it was the hamate bone, right, um, that he broke and had to have uh, missed some time from. Then he comes back from that, and then he's on the COVID list to start summer camp. And so he just never got a chance to really get going. So, you know, props to him for actually having a stretch where he looked semi-impressive last summer. Um, so I would love for him to just kind of, you know, really get just a normal spring and kind of build some momentum into the regular season. Um, the thing with third base, though, is that you used to be able to make this kind of roundabout argument or defense, I guess, of Urias playing third and not being a big power guy by saying that, well, you have a second base position that's not a traditional power position where you have a player like Keston Hira. And so those things kind of balance out a little bit. Now you have Colton Wong at second, who's once again, not that power guy. So you almost, you would wish that third base, that they could acquire someone to be more traditional of an offensive, you know, corner infielder. Um, there's still some time. There's still some lesser known names out there on the market who could be a little bit cheaper. I know um, David ran through a few of them online. Jake Lamb is one that, uh, you know, a, a few Brewers fans have kind of pointed out as someone they might like to see here. Um, Marwin Gonzalez hasn't been signed yet. I think he might command a little bit of money. And then uh, Franco, we don't really know what he's going to be worth uh, money wise. So there's still options but that Colton Wong signing definitely uh, gave us a lot less to work with at this point don't forget too there's hey we do have David Stearns and he does love to make preseason trades so you could see a player like Orlando Arcia Um, not that that would free up a lot of money but it would potentially bring something back and also give Urias a place to play it short um, I think that would be an ideal move to make. Um, I don't know where the match is, but um, something that could potentially happen. Hater is way less likely of a trade these days, um, but he could still have something up his sleeve here. I wonder if it's even possible, and I don't know what they want to do financially this year. Cleveland is in a sell, sell everything mode. I wonder how legitimate the rumors are to Jose Ramirez. Yes. I mean, that's an immediate fix at third, and then you could figure out what you want to do with Urias and RC at short. Maybe you platoon those two at shortstop. But talk about, you, you want to make a move and, and show the fan base, look, you, 
playoffs three straight years. We're committed. Uh, sitting there right now with $64 million in a payroll. That's $100 million short of the Cardinals that just made their big splash move. Man, uh, you want to talk about a PR win for the Brewers and for David Stearns, that would be it. If you got if you were able to swing something for Ramirez, I don't know if they have the assets to do it. Um, and it doesn't look like it from a minor league perspective, but I don't know. Could you take advantage of the Indians just wanting to to get rid of everybody and, and sell, sell, sell? Absolutely. I am 100% on this train. I was just about to mention it before um, you ended up jumping in there. But yeah, Jose Ramirez. This has kind of been like the big thing. Like after the, the Nolan Arenado trade, everyone's like, oh, you know, great. Now the Brewers, you know, need some sort of an answer. And then it was reported a few hours later, the Indians are, are listening to offers for Jose Ramirez. And it's like, yes, this is perfect because Ramirez is a stud offensively. He, he's a stud hitter. He's, he's got plenty of power. Uh, he'd be the perfect addition. He's on a pretty team-friendly deal. He's got three years of team control left, getting paid way less than what he's actually worth. And Cleveland is in a fire sale. Like They they're sold off Francisco Lindor. They sold off Carlos Carrasco. They're selling off everybody uh, trying to cut money. They, they're, they've got a payroll less than the Brewers, and they're still trying to cut money. So things aren't really that great over there in Cleveland. But, you know, could they try to trade for him? And there was, you know, a lot of talk on Twitter as to what that might cost. And there was a stunning amount of people willing to trade Corbin Burns in order to get Jose Ramirez. And I was just flabbergasted, absolutely flabbergasted at that. Like... Yes, you want to to add a bat to the lineup, and adding Jose Ramirez would make the Brewers a better team. But if you take Corbin Burns away, I, I think that the net gain loss, I think you're net losing there if you take Corbin Burns away from this team. Now, saying that Jose Ramirez might cost Corbin Burns is one thing, but being like, that is a bargain, I would trade him in a heartbeat for Ramirez no, that that is that is completely different. And it's based on an absolutely unbelievable rebound by him. And I think it's to be honest, I think it's all on him. Um, you remember the year where he came out and he was supposed to be the starter. He was giving up a bunch of home runs and then he ends up in triple A and it was an absolute oh. mess. The Brewers and I've been on record on on the morning show with this. The Brewers messed up Corbin Burns flat out. They messed they messed him up. And I think he did a lot of personal soul searching uh, in the offseason last year and came back and and proved everybody wrong that was betting against him. Uh, I would agree in net gain versus net loss. I I don't I don't want to see the Brewers part with Corbin Burns, even if it meant the addition of Jose Ramirez. Yeah. I agree. Um, I'm very much on board with the way that um, David put it in that, you know, you know, is is Jose Ramirez right now a better player than Corbin Burns? Jose Ramirez just was just the runner up in the MVP race last year. So I think you could argue, yes, he is the better player right now. But the hole that you end up leaving then in the starting lineup or the starting rotation, I'm sorry where we haven't been able to have those homegrown one ace second pitcher anything like that recently we've had to get those you know bargain type guys when we 
um, made that playoff run, it was because we had plug and play options like Geo and Lyles and Wade Miley and those types of guys. And that's not an excuse of we should go do it again. Like that doesn't mean that that's the right way to do it. If you have a solid, reliable starting and relief staff like the Brewers do right now, then, you know, maybe it is time to let that be your core and then solve the problems elsewhere offensively. And so I just like like you said, David, I just don't think the risk of losing someone like Burns and what it does to your rotation is worth the reward, albeit a very large reward in Ramirez. I don't think it's worth it either. Yeah. Go go ahead, BJ. Yeah, I, I'm wondering, and this goes to a little bit of the Cubs makeup on the year they they won the World Series, and the Brewers have gone through it too. They just haven't hit on pitchers in the draft. I mean, that's flat out mm-hmm. obvious. Um, but they've they've hit on position players. Remember the years of Prince Fielder, J.J. Hardy, Ricky Weeks, Corey mm-hmm. Hart. I mean, they they were hitting on draft picks at positional players which led led you to think then okay let's let's put our assets here and we can buy we can buy pitching and you know Matt made the the point about Wade Miley and Gio Gonzalez and that kind of buying some pitching to get you uh to that spot i i think you could go both ways like if you hit if you hit on the draft on a bunch of pitchers then yeah you you end up probably buying more positionally but i think it's a lot easier to buy pitching than it is to buy and fill nine spots in the field if if you get my line of thought and i don't know what the right way to to go about it is it probably kind of determines on on what you do and how you come out of the draft each and every year that is um it's so tough in major league baseball because some of these guys don't don't bloom for four or five six years it's a crapshoot that draft's a crapshoot but I wonder, I wonder if the model should be, you know, if you were in a GM spot, would you, if you were hitting on positional players like the Brewers, I feel have had uh, hits in the draft, piece together that pitching staff, which they've done, and and kind of take the Cub model and the early, you know, Brewer model that got them back on the map. Yeah, I mean, I mean, when you when you look at the guys that the Brewers have had, I mean, they, they hit on the draft with Woodruff, they hit with Burns. And, you know, they've got a couple other, you know, really young pitchers that they've hit on now. And like for years, you know, they didn't really hit on pitching. You're right. They, they, they missed out on a lot and they ended up having to buy pitching. But now, I mean, when you look at some of the guys that they've had, they, they got Woodruff, they got Burns, Williams has turned out. Um, you got Freddie Peralta still in the mix there. So that they've, and then they've got, you know, guys like Ethan Small, Aaron Ashby down on the farm. And I, I think, just kind of getting those kinds of guys, and especially with Woodruff and Burns, because those those two guys have number one starter upside. And getting guys like that is much more difficult to do because because buying those guys is going to cost you $25, $30 million a year rather than develop, developing them. And you have Corbin Burns delivering the same type of production that Trevor Bauer could give you, except Burns is earning 600000 this year, and Trevor Bauer is probably going to get 30 plus. So I, I think it, it just for a guy like Burns or a guy like Woodruff, who is producing at that 
top level or has the upside to to be at that top level for several years and they're earning you know very little amounts of money i think that's something that is very costly to to try to get elsewhere and it's really something important for them to draft and develop and yeah they've missed on a lot of pitching prospects the biggest miss for me was 2014 they drafted cody madero's Mm -hmm. 12th overall and the 13th overall pick was trey turner the college shortstop for NC State, and now the stud for the for the Nationals. It's like, hmm, you could have had him, but no, you took the high school lefty. Like, yeah, so so they've had a lot of misses. Um, I was looking at uh, Baseball America's, like, top 30 prospects list from 2001. Like, you know, they, they, they have going back 20 years, the top 30 list for all organizations. And 2001, they had Ben Sheets at number one and Nick Neugebauer at number two and they're like these two guys can create such a you know dynamic awesome one-two punch atop the rotation and i'm just like man that would have been so great if they didn't always get hurt and it's just like like they've had like guys like that and they always just have just kind of flamed out before they ever did anything or i mean in, in the case of sheets he stuck around had some really good years but also was plagued by injuries but now, now you have these guys in Woodruff and Burns, and it's just something that the Brewers really haven't had in such a long time. Mark this down. Feb, uh, February 3rd, we had a Nick Nugabauer reference yes. on, uh, <laughs> on the cold brew. My my goodness. That's right. And it, yeah. look, I think it's different, too, and you got to take in perspective where and what the Brewers are operating in as a small market team. Mm-hmm. You have to take advantage of guys – being able to get to the bigs, produce at the bigs on their on their rookie deals, flat out. That's mm-hmm. that that is the mo for any small market team to be able to be successful. Um, and I don't I don't think there's much of an argument against it. Look, the, the Brewers are never going to have the Dodgers, the Yankees payroll. It, it's mm-hmm. never going to happen. Get that out of your mind. But if they can hit on some of the young guys, like a Woodruff, like a Burns, and get to that hundred million dollar mark. You know, maybe a little bit more, which they've shown. And uh, Mark Antanasio has proven he's willing to spend if if he's convinced that this team can win. Then, yeah, then you've got a legitimate contender. But always keep in mind, and it, I know it's frustrating for Brewers fans to hear that, but it, it's it's where it's what you're operating in. It's what it is. It's mm-hmm. what Major League Baseball is. So now I, I've got this question for you guys. Since, you know, obviously we're talking about, obviously, it's a bad idea to try to trade Burns for a guy like Jose Ramirez. But now with Colton Wong at second base taking that job, could Keston Hira possibly get moved as, as a centerpiece in a Jose Ramirez trade? Because, you know, obviously with the farm system, they might need a little bit more help. They might need a pull from the big league roster. And, and pulling from the rotation isn't a good idea. But now that Keston Hira kind of got pushed out of his job there, could, he, could, could the Brewers have maybe gotten Wong so that they'd have security at that second base position to give them an ability to move Hira for Ramirez. Just a conspiracy theory or whatever, but what, what do you guys think of that? I, I, I mean, we were talking about that in the writer's chat even before the Colton Wong move <laughs> about how, you know, that's something that actually could make sense. Um, in terms of the Brewers, obviously you're getting Ramirez. There's an easy fit there. Pre-Colton Wong, um, moving Keston Hero would have actually given Urias a place to play 
at second base and potentially even a future opening for a player like uh, Bryce Terang once he's ready. Um, for the Indian side, I feel like it could make sense because um, they have um, a pretty good second baseman in Cesar Hernandez right now, um, but could potentially do some shuffling there. They also have, drum roll please, a designated hitter. And so <laughs> they have an extra spot that they could uh, put Keston Hira in the lineup, a luxury that we don't necessarily have here. And so I think that is something, depending on what the, you know, other parts of the deal might be something that could make sense for both teams. Matt, I'm so glad you mentioned the name Bryce Terang. We've got a really good look at him in the in the Fox Valley, and everybody will look at his size. Everybody will look at his power numbers and go, like, it just it doesn't translate to him being a... The one thing that has stood out from, from day one with him and, and talking with Matt Erickson, uh, manager of the Timber Rattlers, and... Uh, Bryce has has been on on the station before with our afternoon show. The dude's got a a major league eye. Like he 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 sees stuff. He's got a major league eye, and everybody had had been on that from from day one. I think that's a piece that could factor into all of this in the end. Um, and maybe I'm a little biased because I do a little card collecting on the side. And wow. his rookie year when he got drafted. I invested quite heavily on a boatload of Bryce Terrain cards. So selfishly, I'm hoping he ends up being an all-star shortstop or second baseman for the crew. So, yeah, I, I'm a I'm a big Bryce Terrain guy. Um, I, like I know he doesn't ha- really have a big power profile, but I mean he could probably hit maybe like what 10 to 12 homers, 10 15 homers a year at the big league level at full maturity. And, you know, I've seen some of the, the upgrade, updated prospect list, MLB Pipeline, Baseball America. They've got a 60-grade hit tool uh, on Bryce Terang. So, I mean, that, that's a plus hit tool, and that'll play at the big league level. I mean, Keston Hira had a 60-grade hit tool as he was coming up. So, you know, that's a guy that he can hit. Like, sure, he's not going to hit 30 homers a season, but when you're a shortstop, you don't need him to hit 30 homers a season. If you, if you can hit 300, 10 to 12 homers with, with good defense, that, that's a really good shortstop. And I feel like this conversation that we've now gone full circle on, I still feel like we don't have an answer and there are just too many assets in the middle and not enough solutions at the corner. Yes. And guys, correct me if I'm wrong. Like we, you know, we, we bring out the Bryce Terang stuff. But what do you do then with Luis Urias if he's not going to be your third base? I just I there's such a gaping hole now after having this conversation and and coming to the realization that there is a gigantic hole at third base for this team right now. Yeah, the, and they have nothing really in the minor league system at, at third base. They, they drafted Lucas Ursig uh, a couple of years ago, and he's really kind of flamed out in, in the upper levels. His bat is all of a sudden nowhere to be found. And, you know, it's really kind of tough to see from him. And he didn't earn an alternate training site invite. He didn't earn a call up at all last year when the Brewers desperately needed a third baseman. They they still didn't call on him. And he was in AAA. So it says a lot about where he's at. The Brewers haven't drafted a third baseman in the first 10 rounds since 2017. Uh, that It's just not a position that they've they've invested in. And because of that, they, they really kind of got nothing down there in the minors. They don't have much for, for power hitters down there either. And they, they just haven't invested at the corners. They've invested heavily up the middle 
which, you know, that, that's fine. That's your organizational philosophy. But at some point, you're going to have to get a third baseman because all these shortstops, these second basemen that you draft, a lot of them don't really have uh, the power profile that you need to play at third base. So it, it's something that they've really kind of missed out on. It's something that hopefully they'll address in the future. But, yeah, they are they are short on third base throughout the system. And they've just been trying to deal with stopgap solutions there, uh, like Travis Shaw, Mike Moustakis, over the years to try to to fill that position. Yeah, I'll be interested to see, you know, if Stearns potentially makes some minor league moves here, some minor league trades, once the seasons kind of start get going and we get to see what, you know, some of these minor leaguers actually have. Um, since we didn't get to see any of that last year for any team. Um, the Brewers are very, very deep, as you're mentioning, um, in the middle infield, especially at shortstop with the couple um, that we drafted just this last year and Zamora and Cantrell. Um, you've got Terang. You've got um, the international prospect that I'm forgetting right now. Eduardo Garcia. Um, Garcia, thank you. Um, and then Arcia and then Urias. And so... Um, either from one of those two big leaguers or from the minor league depth, you know, what can the Brewers potentially, you know, swing to help improve the team at the corners somehow? Um, at some point, that's going to pay off for us in the terms of trade assets. Um, whether that'll be right away or not, it's hard to tell, but that will work in the Brewers' favor eventually. Yeah, like, to be honest, I kind of, you know, as as critical as maybe I have sounded or we have sounded, you know, throughout this, you, you've got the assets there that you can deal and fill in those positions at the corners um, or bolster that starting staff. So um, there's a lot of way, different ways to attack it. And it's maybe a tough sell on, on what happened last year, but in David Stearns, I trust. And that's, that's kind of where my chips are in right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I did an article um, back in December, I think, looking at Stearns' batting average overall, because we always talk about Stearns as a high batting average. And, you know, I, I looked through all of his moves to try and figure it out. And when it comes to trades, he's hitting on 75% of them about, like, he's done a really good job with them, um, hits on a large chunk of his free agent uh, acquisitions. Uh, his 2020 results really kind of uh, went into a little bit of a slump there, brought down his batting average. But yeah, like it's really kind of something where, um, you know, Stearns has really kind of earned that trust. And whenever he's made a mistake, he's he's a, acknowledged it. You know, what, the Jonathan Scope trade, for example, uh, <laughs> that one was a complete disaster. And Stearns even came out and said, like, yep, that that really didn't work out the way uh, I was hoping. Uh, that was a bad trade. My bad. I'm sorry. And it, it's something that you really haven't seen from other GMs across the league. So it's something that I find pretty refreshing, actually. So, you know, hopefully next um, he'll look at uh, getting some more corner infielders um, for for the system. And th there should be a couple of guys in the draft this year. I remember a couple of years ago, I was always ranting about how the Brewers never had any left-handed pitching within their organization. I ranted about it for two years. Then finally in the 2019 draft, they drafted a whole bunch of left-handed pitchers. And I'm just like, ah, oh, finally, they listened to me. 
And yeah, it's, it's, I'm still chasing that high. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking to your little Southpaw heart. Absolutely. Can never have enough lefties. Now you looked at the uh, the non-roster invitee list today, and there, there were a whole bunch of uh, lefties on there, including Ethan Small, uh, including Aaron Ashby, uh, two guys on there. And then, you know, position player-wise, you had, you had Bryce Terang in there. You had Garrett Mitchell, Tristan Lutz. Um, so a couple of interesting uh, prospect non-roster invites. These guys probably aren't going to be uh, – they, they probably aren't going to have a chance to crack the opening day roster, but uh, pretty intriguing uh, guys to have in a camp. I am more than anything. I am so excited to see Garrett Mitchell in a Brewers uniform. Yes. Like just baseball activities. Like I get, you know, he's not going to be anywhere close to hitting in Miller Park um, for quite some time, as advanced as he is. But um, the fact that we didn't get our minor league season uh, last season, he had to miss pretty much all of instructionals, and so you know we're just waiting. Oh, we want to see how that five-tool guy does, and we will actually get that chance in real, actual games this spring. That is that is the one. There's a lot of interesting names in there, but it's hard for me not to say that Mitchell is the one I'm most excited to see. And if you look at Mitchell, I mean, if he's able to live up to our expectations, I think the three of us um, are, are relatively high on Garrett Mitchell. Um, and David, I'd love to hear your thoughts on him, but I, I thought it was a slam dunk draft pick. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And if he's able to develop a little bit quicker than maybe some people believe, I think that fills a major hole when Lorenzo Cain's contract runs out. Mm-hmm. And then you've got you've got Mitchell and Yelich and the outfield, which has never seemed to be a problem for Milwaukee. Man, I I'm excited, like you said, Matt, uh, to see what Garrett Mitchell does. It's it's just hard to I wonder how much was lost this past year plus mm-hmm. without being, you know, freshly drafted. You're on that high. You know, I think going in that you're probably not going to have a season with everything shut down. Um, you know, how much work, what, you know, what what were his assets to be able to work on his and his game? And you mentioned the multi-tool. And it's not like, all right, hey, we got this cage where you can hit all the time. No, the, the dude needs a field. He needs to be able to work mm-hmm. on those five tools. Um so very curious to see on on what materializes with Garrett Mitchell. And this is an odd question. I don't mean to throw it at you guys off the cuff, but if if the Brewers would go into the season as is, what do you, what should be the lineup? What would the lineup be mm. right now? Um, that also sounds like a good article. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my, my perfect lineup article got thrown out the window with the Colton Long signing because um, <laughs> I was not expecting that one. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of what the lineup um, could be, I'm not sure of like the actual order, um, but I could. I mean, I'm just gonna try and do this off the top of my head, off the fly here. Um, let, let's say Colton Long leading off, Christian Yelich batting second. Um, Keston Hira batting third, um, batting fourth, Avisil Garcia maybe, um, and then maybe uh, let's go Lorenzo Cain fifth, 
uh, um, Omar Narvaez six, and then what do we got left here? You'd be Urias and Arcia, yeah, and then those guys and seven eight and the pitcher nine. There, you 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 say that, David, and as much as we want to say there's a hole at third. There's a gigantic hole at the cleanup spot. Yeah. Like, who, who do you put there? Yeah. I, I I don't know. That's why it'd be hard for me not to want to go some combination of Kane and Wong in the one and two. I know Yelich has been so good in that two spot during, you know, the strong brewers teams. But just mm-hmm. like you said, it, there's a pretty big drop off after that. So if you can go Kane and Wong at the top, and then some combination of probably Yelich three and here a four, that at least feels maybe a little more natural for the cleanup, or you could even, yeah. you know, swap them possibly. And then, yeah, after that, some combo of Garcia, Narvaez. Um, yeah, that's it. it that's interesting. It's, it's going to be an interesting uh, uh, setup. That's for sure. Cause I, I don't love Kane at the top of the lineup anymore. I, ju- I just yeah. don't. And I know he's coming off a year where, I mean, you, you want to talk about the healthiest Lorenzo Kane has probably been in the last six, seven, eight years. Mm-hmm. It'll be this year. I mean, he's going to mm-hmm. be healthy and and ready to roll. So maybe maybe that is a spot where you plug him into either that one or two spot. Uh, I wonder I wonder how Keston Hero would do in the in the cleanup spot. I because mm-hmm. people will look at that and say, well, gee, he just he doesn't have enough power. But then when you see him. And you hear that ball off his bat, you're like, yeah, no, the dude does have enough power to be a cleanup hitter. I wonder if they go with Hira in that cleanup spot and then Colton Wong in the third spot. And I don't, yeah. I don't know. It's it's going to be very interesting. I think you'll see. I think you'll see Craig Council putts around with that at the beginning of the year this year. Yeah, I just don't think Colton Wong has enough power to to be in the three spot. The most homers he's hit in a season is twelve. Um, so he, he doesn't really have that. Um, and then just kind of circling back to, um, your original kind of thoughts there on, on uh, Garrett Mitchell. Um, yeah. So like I, I did the, uh, top 50 prospect list for a uh, prospect 1500 and I had uh, Garrett Mitchell, you know, obviously as, as the number one in the Brewers system. And I had him as a, a tier one player, which, um, for there constitutes a future perennial all-star type guy. And that's really just kind of banking on the the power potential showing up and the Brewers being able to tap into that. And I, I think the Brewers will. I think he's got plenty of raw power, and um, he just didn't really show it at UCLA because they had him as the leadoff hitter, and it just wasn't really part of his approach. So I just told him, like, dude, just get on base. Don't worry about homers. Um, so that was really what his whole approach was about. And um, from my time in the Northwoods League, um, I got to know a couple of guys from UCLA, from UCLA that, that, that were on our team. So after Mitchell was drafted, um, I texted them and I asked them, you know, like, like, what are your thoughts on, like, what can you tell me about Mitchell? And one of them told me, he's like, this dude is the best athlete I have ever seen. Like he absolutely could be a dude going forward. So, you know, th- there's a lot to like there. The, like when, when the Brewers made that draft pick, like, I was super excited about it because he's obviously a really good player. 
I had kind of forgotten he was still on the board because he was like the number six prospect. So I figured like he would have been gone by then. So I was initially upset because we had written like 20 articles on potential (laughs) first round targets. And the one guy we didn't write something about was the guy they picked. And I was just so frustrated, but it was, but it was a good pick. And I, I thought to myself two days before, and I'm pretty sure I'm, I might've told this story on this podcast before, but I thought to myself like two days before the draft, I'm like, maybe I should write one about Garrett Mitchell. I'm like, nah, he's totally going to be gone by then. And then they ended up drafting him. And I'm just like, Oh, you gotta be kidding me. But yeah, it, I definitely think it, it was, you know, a great pick and he's really, I, I think a blue chip prospect to really help out this farm system. Now, teams got scared away by his by his medical issue, and I think yeah. the Brewers said at at that point where they were at, uh, maybe they looked up the road to what what's going on at twelve sixty five and said, we can't ignore this. He's the best player on the board. We got to take him, and let's put our chips in and trust uh, that he's got a handle on that medical issue. So, yeah, you know, I I just I just hope it comes. You know, all the positive things that we're saying here um, on the podcast that it that it comes to fruition because I. You know, we—I'm sure you guys have done this in the history of this. Is said, hey, this guy's a home run. This that guy's a home run, and then it just doesn't pan out. I, I truly, really hope that it does work out for Garrett Mitchell and the crew. Yeah, and the good thing with with Garrett Mitchell too, um, to just kind of one final point on him, is that he was on the Brewers Area Code Games team back in high school. It's like that that Area Code Games showcase out in California. So he was on the Brewers team there. So their coaching staff, their scouts, they already kind of knew him for a couple of years. Um, so that kind of familiarity probably make probably made it a whole lot easier for them to to make that selection. Um, and then just just kind of one final topic here, I think we should hit on. Uh, Rich Hill is a guy that the Brewers reportedly have significant interest in. Um, they're they're reportedly one of the finalists with I believe the Mets and. Um, I, I think it was the Rays um, were, were the other were the other teams. Um, so I mean, he's 41 years old. Over the last four seasons, he's got an ERA of 3.27. Um, he had eight starts last year. He can eat up some innings. Um, he, the Brewers have a pretty young pitching staff. He'd kind of provide that Brett Anderson, veteran leader, uh, left-handed pitcher type role in, in the, on the Brewers staff. What do you guys think of a possible? Uh, Rich Hill addition to the, to the rotation. BJ, you go first. If I told you his war was 14.3 for his career, I feel like minds would explode. <laughs> and he's 67 and 44 in his career as it started with a 379 ERA. That's crazy to me. Um, I've never been a, a huge fan of, and at this point in his career, you know, relatively soft throwing lefties. Sorry, no mm-hmm. offense, David, but um, <laughs> I, if the price is right, yes, that's where I'll end up on it. If the price is right, yes. I think you make a great point about this staff being as young as they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he would be an addition in that clubhouse. Absolutely. But the, the price has to be right. And when I say price, it, it kind of gets me thinking, w- Shoot, where in the end, where where does David Stearns want this, and probably more importantly, where does Mark Antanasio want this payroll to be? I mean, y- you can't sit there $100 million behind the Cardinals. I mean, it's just, it's not a good look. The mm-hmm. 
the fans aren't going to show out for that. Um, but I don't think this team is in a position to be much, much higher than a hundred. Um, are they in the 80 or 90 range? Sure. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, if the price is right, that's where I'll settle on. If the price is right for Hill, I'm all in. Give me the soft throwing lefty. I don't know who this Rich Hill is you speak of. I know who Dick Mountain is, uh, <laughs> as he's been nicknamed. That was his actual Players Weekend nickname, yeah. which is fantastic. Um, he, oh, I, I agree. Um, it's it, it's a good pitcher to be had at the right price. He only made he was a it was a one year three million dollar contract last year, so he might be gettable. Um, the one thing I guess that concerns me is the injury history a little bit lately. Um, he did only pitch, I think it was uh, 13 games I just saw in 2019 because um, he was uh, banged up for most of that. Um, and then eight games last year, he was on the 10-day DL um, at one point in August last year as well. Um, so, you know, at that age and with that recent injury history, is he going to be able to last a full season or two thirds of a season or anything, you know, that's where my concerns come from. He's a heck of a pitcher for, you know, he puts up the numbers every year when he plays. Um, that's the only thing that gets me, but if they can get him, I mean, even with that, if they get him at a affordable price, why not, you know, give it a shot. Yeah. I mean, I really don't think he'd cost much more than, you know, the 3 million or so that, that he got last year. He'd probably only be like two, 3 million, Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Stearns might be going in, you know, the price is right as if he's like, you know, Drew Carey, $1, Drew, $1, that's my bad. <laughs> it could be all he has left after the, uh, the Colton Wong signing, but, uh, yeah, so definitely going to be, uh, interesting to see what happens with Rich Hill, with Jose Ramirez, um, with, with what they do at third base, uh, but Colton Wong is a brewer, so that's really kind of the, the big news, a uh, big takeaway from this past week, um, BJ DeGroote, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast this week. Uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun, a lot of good stuff to talk about. Yeah, um, I appreciate you having me on on a day where the Brewers make a signing like this. Makes it a little bit easier for uh, <laughs> content and everything. But uh, had fun chatting with you boys, and hopefully this is the last time. For sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll we'll see if we can uh, grab you on again some point during the season. Um and have a have a lot of fun, you know. It's going to be a very interesting uh, 2021 season, and you know, lots of stuff to to look forward to for sure. So that'll do it for this week's edition of the Cold Brew Podcast. Be, for, be sure to follow us on Twitter at coldbrew underscore pod, and be sure to follow all of us personally. I'm at dgasper24, and Matt is at mkematt13, and then of course at bj degroot. So thank you again for listening on this week's edition of the Cold Brew Podcast. We will see you once again next week.